Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, pop culture, and current events. I am Mecca Don here with my co-host V. The NFL season is here. Fantasy football is here. Mamba mentality for life. Let's get it. Today is September 10th, 2020. We made it. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you can be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. We're still quarantined and social distancing due to this pandemic. But we're going to figure out a way to bring you guys a show at all costs. On today's show, we have a very special guest, Partha Unava, who is the CEO of Lasso, a sports mm-hmm. apparel company that is really, really making big moves. This guy's impressive. He was a uh, Forbes 30 under 30 when he was 22 years old. He got invited to the White House, White House to present his product to Barack Obama. It is an interview that you guys do not want to miss. We'll also do some news and notes, some pop culture stories, but mostly sports. We'll talk about the NFL being back. We'll talk about the NBA playoffs and Giannis college football being back and what's going to happen with the big 10 and of course fantasy football (laughs) shout out to our patreon subscribers remember now that our five dollars and up patreon subscribers will get our episodes on wednesdays and early these donations help keep our show going if you can help and want to keep us on air you can donate at www.patreon.com forward slash pilot boys podcast don't forget grab some wristbands or face masks at shop.pilotboys.com and be sure to leave us a five-star rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. Let's go. Where the Pilot Boys at? Pilot Boys, we get on up. We don't fly, boys, we get up. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. We are joined by a very special guest, Martha Nava, who is an entrepreneur, mentor, and an industry expert in the early stage medical device space. Partha, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mecca and Vishwan. I'm excited, guys. Excited yeah. to get back to the Columbus roots. Yeah. I hope I didn't undersell you, man. I know you have so many so many things going on and probably so many different titles. You are an impressive dude. So um, we're going to get to a lot of that stuff, man. But again, Do like it. I said, thanks for joining us. Go ahead, V. Yeah. Kick us off. All right. I guess we'll, we'll start with our roots and uh, just tell us a little bit about your start in, in Columbus, Ohio, and what your initial part of your journey before you became an entrepreneur and, and the role that your development as a, as a, as a child ultimately impacted um, your decision to go to Georgia Tech and, and eventually become the, the entrepreneur extraordinaire that you are today. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, you know, I, I started in Columbus and the whole idea for me was grow up and be a doctor, you know, being brown doing that whole thing. And I went to Georgia Tech because they were top in biomedical engineering. And so my thought process was, well, if I don't want to be a doctor, I can be an engineer. You know, there's <laughs> the other okay job. To Sounds typical. Around. Yeah. And when I got to college, it was this interesting, um, I guess, like awakening where, and I think like a lot of people in our generation are having this, right? Where you get to a certain point in your life and you realize that you've been living more for the expectations of other people, but you've never really taken it to really figure out what do you want to do with your life and what makes you happy. So as I started to go through that process, I knew like pretty quickly I didn't want to go to medical school because I wasn't really interested in a lot of the stuff that they were studying, but I was really, really interested in biomechanics and learning how the body works. I'm super passionate about sports, culture, music, entertainment. So I saw that there was like kind of going the brand route in terms of building a business could be something interesting. And really everything for me started after I broke my ankle playing basketball. 
um, I was on crutches for six weeks. And so when I was in college, I started working on new idea for a crutch that would basically help stabilize the body, but not hurt your underarms. And so <laughs> I actually dropped out of college to pursue that, raise money for it. And eventually about four or five years down that path, just saw that there was a lower ceiling on, on that business than I wanted from a revenue standpoint. So reposition what we were doing to eventually become Lasso um, as it is now and uh, you know, a much higher ceiling on what we're doing now. Before we get to, to some of that stuff, I want to talk a little bit about uh, you went to Dublin Kaufman. And yeah. it's funny, I, I grew up in Columbus. I went to St. Francis de Sales, but I was in Dublin all the time. AMC movie theaters yeah. was the spot when we were, when we were younger <laughs> and uh, Sawmill Lanes, you know, so I yeah. was in Dublin and I actually played soccer at Dublin Premier. I was literally Avery Road, that whole, that was yeah. my life. So, oh, that's um, awesome. but it's funny now, my, my nephew actually goes to Kaufman. He's a sophomore there, but Dublin looks entirely different. I have other nephews that go Very to Jerome. Different. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that, about what it was like growing up in Dublin. And if you've had any experiences coming back to Dublin, what are some of the differences that you see now between um, when you were growing up there and what it's like now? Yeah. So when I moved there, I had originally grown up in, in Westerville. So, you know, a little different. And my mm -hmm. parents actually made the decision to move when it was like right at the end of my fifth grade. They had decided not to increase education budgets in the city. And so there was this kind of general sentiment that the schools were going to get worse. So my parents made the decision to move. And, you know, Dublin is, I mean, an incredible school system, like a very, mm -hmm. very well put together um, group of people. They're very thoughtful. They're very mindful about, you know, how you can expose somebody to new ideas. And what was exciting about going to school there was that the opportunities were very significant. So like, for example, I could participate in fencing club, which was not ever an option if I had gone to school in Westerville and there's just a lot of privilege that comes from that community. So it mm -hmm. helped me to see different paths and just like explore different things that I wouldn't have tried before. And, you know, when I was there, I was really active in band in marching band, jazz, all of that. I was like in all those student organizations as well. So it just gave me a place to like thrive. And to your point now going back, I mean, it's crazy, dude. It's like legitimately rivaling some college campuses. So yeah. For those right. who don't know, they bought the old Verizon headquarters in Dublin and they turned it into basically like a mixed use building for students. And it's all anything off the normal course from typical academics. So they have a bunch of entrepreneurship curriculums there. They actually started biomedical engineering there. Um, I've been working with them because one of my really good friends from Columbus became a music producer out here. Um, so to help them build also like a music track into their nice. program as well. Nice. That's awesome. So what was your, did you have any kind of childhood entrepreneurial spark your hustles that you had as, as a kid that, that kind of early on taught you some basic things about running a business or, or selling Dude, products? So I'm, yeah, I'm in the minority on this. I had zero desire or interest to do anything entrepreneurial. What, what I did in my free time, I organized a Olympics for our air quotes there for our neighborhood when I was a kid. So I made flyers, I advertised it, I put together events and like we did it every season for like a year or two. So it was like a, it was a thing that people in our neighborhood looked forward to. And so for me, it was always like getting people to compete was always something that was really exciting for me. Yeah. Right. And you went to, and you went to Georgia tech after that. And, you know, obviously, you know, biomedical, uh, you know, engineering and obviously a very, technical and very smart school, but also a rich school and tradition when it comes to football. 
And Georgia Tech is part of the ACC, who also happens to be playing football and potentially starting this week. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, I guess, one, Georgia Tech football, and then two, the idea of the ACC playing football uh, this fall? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I think as a, as a college athlete, it makes sense to want to play, especially on the football side, because how else are you going to demonstrate how much better you got to be able to make it in the league? There's a whole <laughs> lot of guys that make that jump, right? So um, that's the tough part about this. Uh, but the flip side is, you know, it's a, it's a school sport. It's, it's a pretty rough time to be playing a very, very physical game like that when there's a, a disease going around, right? So I'm super mixed on it. Um, George Tech football in general, you know, I was very pessimistic on um, because I was I don't like the triple option. I like yeah. it as a component of an offensive right. scheme. I don't like it being the entire offensive scheme. Yeah. So yeah. Now that we have a spread coach, I think in three to four years, um, it'll actually be a, a decent program again, which will be exciting. But I'm yeah. far more of an Ohio State fan. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So I wanted to go into that, right? You go to Georgia Tech, biomedical engineering is is a pretty intense major where you probably spent all your time studying for the most part and probably didn't have much of a social life. Take us into kind of the setback. You mentioned it earlier. There's a setback that you had, the story behind that setback, what you were trying to do, um, and, and how that inspired you to start the business in the first place. Yeah. So for me, it was, you know, I was, I was playing basketball with some friends and I came down on somebody's foot after getting a rebound, rolled my ankle pretty bad and it turned out to be a break. And so going through that process, you know, I hadn't been particularly athletic my whole life and it was always a goal of mine. So I set this, this um, goal to basically dunk a basketball. I had never touched the backboard before. Um, <laughs> so this was an ambitious goal. And 12 months later, I achieved it um, after having the injury. So it was exciting for me to to go through the process of basically learning and researching, like how do I improve my body? What do I need to eat? What do I need to do in the gym? How do I work out? How do I train myself? And like, what are the different types of muscles? You know, all of that um, was probably the most fun I've ever had. And like, still now, like my favorite thing to do is like do my workout research and then tweak and modify my workout to get better or different things out of my body. So it's, it's very exciting for me to, to do all of that. And it just kind of opened up uh, a, a way of thinking in my head where I started to see how many people didn't have access to that kind of information and uh, how many people, you know, it's, it's a lot of work to do that research. Right. And in general, if you look at a lot of articles, they're mostly written to sell products or they're written for a reason other than sharing genuine information. So for the regular person, it's very hard to know how do I improve my physical health more or less. And so when I started with the crutch, the intent was to help set an example in the market that you can actually innovate all these products that have a significant impact on how we move and people just choose not to, right? And so they choose not to because the healthcare system is messed up from an infrastructure standpoint. Insurance money basically dictates where innovation happens and the insurance margins on the products that help us move physically are smaller than ever. So most of those products have been commoditized and they've been pushed out into pharmacy, Amazon, et cetera. So that was why I decided I didn't wanna go down the crutch path any further because it just didn't have the ability to create impact in a dynamic mm -hmm. way in the industry. But kind of flip the script when we looked at Lasso, the idea was let's let's create something that can work with someone at any point in their lifestyle. So not just when you're injured and re recovering, but how can we also improve performance and how can we also add value on a day-to-day -day lifestyle use case, 
with a product. And so what we did was basically we created a new way to support and stabilize joints um, through apparel. And so we have a lot of IP around that. Um, and with the sock, the idea was take away the instruction manuals, you know, the information I was talking about that it's very hard to get, take all of that, synthesize it into a super well-designed, easy to use product that people can use every day and create a, a brand that basically helps to service this very physically active lifestyle that many people are opting for these days. So basically enable people to move better without having to think about it just by knowing, hey, we did the thinking for you. Everyone at Lasso does that thinking for you. So if you buy a Lasso product, it's already guaranteed to be one of the best products on the market, if not the best for improving how you move. And our socks are the best for that. One question I have too is, and I'm going to stereotype here a little bit, um, yeah. but you talked about dropping out of school, right? And, uh, you know, immigrant families generally <laughs> are not too fond of that type of decision. I'm, um, you know, I'm Nigerian and, you know, I left a big law firm to pursue my career in hip hop. Yeah. And uh, so I, I can, I can understand what you did. Um, but talk a little bit about what that period was like, even explaining to your parents and, um, or your family, uh, and then dealing with kind of some of the kind of cultural and uh, societal backlash when you decided to initially make that move. Yeah, so this is funny. My parents are both, they were both professors at Fisher. Where you, you guys both went right to Fisher? So V went to Fisher. Yeah. You did, okay. So yeah. they were both uh, professors at Fisher, and that I grew up basically on campus, in the business school, going to games, doing that whole thing. And so that's where I got indoctrinated both into Ohio State, but also over dinner table conversations growing up, I didn't realize how much business I was learning because my parents specialize in marketing, branding, and basically consumer okay. uh, communication. So, so exactly what we do, yeah. you know, as a company. Right. But I didn't know I was learning all of that as I was growing up. So as I got older, it's funny, one of my mentors said to me one time that, um, what you're the best at is usually not what you think you're the best at because mm -hmm. it comes so effortlessly to you that you've never thought about improving that skill set, right? Very true. And so that was a, a indicator for me as I got out into the business world, you know, dropping out um, to your question wasn't, I think it, I positioned it as I was taking a break to my parents, mm -hmm. but you know, you know what you have to say to <laughs> where you have to go. Uh, but that break lasted uh, a very long time and then my credits expired so i can't go back so that was i was waiting for the mark where i couldn't go back anymore so i could say hey i'm, I'm officially done but um, right. they were they were supportive i mean you know when you see an opportunity and um i i raised money from venture capital when i dropped out of school mm -hmm. so it wasn't like uh, hey I'm, I'm just dropping out to go after my my dreams but it was like immediate val validation from right. my third party that yes. was more respected so important yeah and, how, and how, we, talk to us yeah. about that process, too, because, you know, I mean, we've had people on here. We had Josh Childress on the show um, mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about just the challenges of, of raising money, um, particularly in the pandemic, but also just as, an, you know, as a in general, as a founder, as a new founder, as a person of color. Talk to us about that. How did you how were you able to just raise money from a venture capitalist um, that early, even with a brilliant idea? And at, at 19, 20 years old, you could barely buy a beer. So those conversations yeah. had to be interesting, right? Yeah, it was. Um, so I went through the accelerator route. So basically, it's like a, like a you know, they'll take in six, 10 companies uh, per, per summer or whatever and teach you the basics of a business, give you some funding to get started. For everyone that proves out their business model, they'll give them more funding to help them keep going. So I went right. that route. I picked one that was medical. So the cash amounts were higher. 
um, as opposed, most accelerators will do 20 K this one, I got 150 K. So it gave me the runway to actually start doing some stuff. And, you know, like when you're young like that, you, your expenses to live are like nothing. So right. That money goes a really long way. Um, and it went long enough to help me prove out the business model. But to your point, Mecca, I mean, fundraising is, it's a very challenging thing today, especially with COVID there. It's mm -hmm. just, it's an excuse that anyone can give when they're just, you know, I'm not sure yet. And really what it means when you get those excuses is it's not that they're not sure on your business model or any of that, but it's more like, Hey, you haven't done enough to make me feel mm -hmm. like I'm going to miss this opportunity if I don't jump mm -hmm. in. Right. Mm -hmm. And so without being like, some people play games, some people will try to use leverage to get things to close quickly. And, um, usually when I get those indicators, uh, from investors, you know, it's, it's been like an arduous process raising like the current round we're raising right now through all of COVID and, you know, we never get no's, but we get not yet's. And that's how I see every no's and not yet. And mm -hmm. so ultimately, as long as you keep those people in, in your email list, you know, give them updates every month, every couple of months, and just let them know what's going on. I mean, we're, we're a company that hits our marks. And so when we hit those, whether it's revenue, whether it's other goals that we've set for ourselves, we just continue to show, hey, we do the things we say we're going to do. And right. um, over time, you know, those people who were saying not yet start to come in. But um, it's, it's extremely challenging. And, you know, I, I definitely think like it's harder when you're not white for sure. But I like really don't like thinking about that because mm -hmm. then it gives me an excuse mentally to, yeah. to say it's hard. So right. I, I don't like going down that thread. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. And also wanted to, you know, you said that, you know, at, at that age, you got $150,000, right? One of the hardest things for people at that age is actually managing money right and yeah. and not blowing it and not wasting it on on things that don't really help the business how, how did you discipline yourself early on to focus that money toward the business and to use it efficiently without having a lot of experience ever running or developing a business yeah my problem was actually the opposite i grew up very frugal uh, my family is very below our means in how we live mm -hmm. and so I just never saw a lot of spend like that. So when it came to the company's money, I actually had to work to spend money. I had to, I had to be able to make multiple thousand dollar commitments to whether it's people or whether it's the agencies that you're going to bring on to achieve a goal. Um, I had to get more comfortable with making those commitments. And that was, I mean, it was a process, you know, and there were definitely mistakes I made along the way, but um, every time just learn better how to not only make the commitments and know what good pricing is for a certain service, but then also like, how do you know that that's going to be delivered? Do you set up criteria to make sure that the group you're talking to is going to deliver the outcome you want? If they don't, what's going to happen? Like learning all of those pieces of a transaction was really, really critical. Talk to us a little bit about the, the kind of the proprietary stuff in the, in the product, obviously without giving any like secrets away. Yeah. Talk to us about the development of a product because there are a lot of people, for example, that have great ideas and I mean, wonderful ideas that would change the world. Right. But when it comes to actual development, they have no idea where to go. Like, how do you when you have the idea? OK, yeah, I want to build this this crutch, which, first of all, is a br brilliant idea. I was on crutches pretty much all last year, so I could have used one that didn't chafe my arms. <laughs> but like, how do you where do you where do you go in terms of, OK, so you want to start the business, you want to build the product, you obviously need to protect you know, certain pat maybe patent certain things. 
trademark certain things like there's a process talk to just a little bit you don't have to go to into ex extensive detail but just talk to us a little bit about that for someone who might be listening who wants to you know take a product to market yeah so there's a few ways you can go about it i mean to to take a product to market the right way requires a lot of capital and you need very top engineers and designers to be able to think through all the aspects of it but some of the challenges um i guess like the first question is is it something completely new or is it a modification on something that already exists so if it's something completely new, that's going to be an expensive process. If you don't have the skills to do all of the engineering and design work yourself, those firms are extremely pricey and they're very slow and they don't get it right. So it takes a lot of mm. reasons, which takes more time. So you're looking at anywhere from 50 to 150 K in development costs of a brand new idea, typically depending mm -hmm. on the space. I have right. a lot of those design skills from college. So, um, I was able to do basically everything up until you get it to manufacturing ready. And nice. so manufacturing ready is like a totally different story because then you have to modify the design to work on the manufacturer's machines. And what's interesting is that every manufacturer does things differently. So this is kind of where the human mm. element comes in is like in school, they teach you that there's standards for things and there's really not that many standards. The standard is who's making it and you make it the mm -hmm. way they want you to make it. Right. Right. So you have to first identify people who own manufacturing facilities in your space that make similar products or the same type of product. And you have to get them to buy in to you and your idea yeah. that your business will grow. If you don't have that, it's really kind of a non-starter because they're just going to take your money, deliver some kind of product. But it won't be the kind of buy-in and the kind of help that you need early stage to really make the product great. And they're not right. going to have the you know energy to help you with all the growing pains of getting something started, which is a very painful process anytime you launch a new product. So it's very important to have like a very clear business and marketing plan to have great supporters around you and to be able to tell the story about what you're doing and who who all is involved in making it happen in a compelling way. I think it's all down to the pitch, right? Even fundraising. But if you can do that and really like all those answers are inward, it's not it's not out in the world. It's not like if you didn't do your market research that you're not going to be able to sell a manufacturer. But um, instead, it's more like, do you understand truly what you're trying to do, the impact it'll have? And do you have a clear plan that you can communicate with confidence as to how you're getting it out there. And if you hit those factors and you're very sure of what you're doing, I think people can genuinely tell and then they get yeah. involved and they get excited. I have, I have one quick follow up to that. One quick follow up to that would be um, you, you do a lot of mentoring. And I think that that's fantastic because, you know, just to be honest, and this is not a, a shot at you in any way, but it's, there's a lot of privilege in this conversation that we're having, right? Yeah. Even from our standpoint that we don't realize, right? Because it's just kind of who we are and how we grew up and, it is what it is, but just even the idea, because I, you know, I hear people say all the time, oh, I should have thought of that idea. I would be a billionaire. I was like, huh. a lot more than thinking of the idea, right? Like you have to actually have the knowledge and you have to have the resources and, you know, you have to know how to raise capital and, um, and you have to put the team together and all these other type of things. But you, one thing that you, you've done and expressed interest in is mentoring, which I think is great. Talk to us a little bit about that and why, why that's become important to you in this process as well. Yeah, man. I mean, I think it's um, it's the recognition of that, right? Like, I, I'm super aware that I had a lot of opportunities people didn't have. So when I meet people who I can help and it mentoring is where it gets tough, because a lot of people want to be mentored, but not a lot of people want to work. So once you find the people that really want to put the work in, I've never met somebody who actually is ready to put in however many hours a day of work, who doesn't get to where they want to go. But some people's paths are harder, you know, and so yeah. 
the biggest biggest thing that I see that like really like is challenging for people to overcome is the almost conditioning you get based on where you grew up, whether it's scarcity or abundance mentality yes. and getting out of that frame of thinking, that frame of how you create doubts for yourself, that frame of how you see the world and looking at things differently. And once you're able to get your head around that, there's consequences to it. Mm -hmm. Your friends don't really relate to you anymore because you just changed your belief and value system. Yeah. So you're going to have to start identifying with different types of people. You know, your family, you might have more friction with them or it might be frustrating because they don't see the world the same way you do now. And so there's a lot of these different things that will happen that are very, very uncomfortable and yeah. end up to be very isolating. So the, the real truth of it is if you want to really make a dynamic impact on the world, it's a lonely journey. And if you're comfortable with that, you know how to keep yourself happy and you're able to find a good group of friends to take that ride with you. I mean, uh, Mecca, like, I'm sure it's exactly kind of what you feel pursuing music fully after being an attorney, right? Like even on product development, like how do you get, I'm not sure if you produce your own stuff, but how do you get great producers to work with you? Mm -hmm. How do you get, you know, great exactly. involved in what you're building? How do you get the right visual artists for the album art and for the experience on, on stage and all of that? Um, how do you get the right engineers to even give you time and, or to work on spec or for a percentage? Like, that's the same conversation we're having. Absolutely. How you get people to understand that it's not just about whether you can rap. It's about whether you can make music, right? The whole thing is it's market, market. Yeah. So there's a lot involved there. Yeah. So it's a, it's a whole challenge. And, you know, to help other people see that everyone has to go through a tremendous amount of pain and frustration and anxiety really to, to get there. And so it's it's whether people are willing to do that. And I think what's interesting is when you find people from tougher economic circumstances and their upbringing, they're more willing to go through that kind of pain to get there. Yeah, mm, absolutely. And, and, you know, we did talk about the, the privilege aspect of this, but also, you know, just anyone who's an entrepreneur, whether it's someone who comes from a background of privilege or like Bill Gates, right? And you've in outliers, uh, Malcolm Gladwell kind of actually studies success and all the external variables that, that factor into into someone's success but a lot of time isn't spent on talking about the downtime right every celebrity everyone knows about them after they're famous but that struggle everyone kind of goes through that struggle when they're introducing something new to the world no matter like you said whether they're rich or poor when you start something it's very difficult right and that journey is is a lonely one like you mentioned kind of take us into that period like the, some of the early challenges we know where you're at now um but some of your early challenges and you battles everyone goes through depression different emotion an emotional roller coaster that's very different than the product development aspect of this thing if you could just take us a little bit into that and how you kind of used i know you've said you used hip-hop to kind of help you through some of that for yourself so if you can kind of tell us a little bit about that totally man um a year after i started the company i'd started with two business partners and they both left uh, one year in, and it was right as we were running out of money. And they, we were all living together, and they left the apartment. So I had two other rooms to sublease, uh, sublease to, to people I had just met on Craigslist. Um, for me, as someone who had dropped out of college, you know, all my peers are now in year four of college, and I'm by myself in this apartment in Atlanta with no family nearby at all and just completely isolated. And, you know, on the path, to um, 
debt, really, right? And not sure what I'm going to do. And that was a very, very tough time for me. I mean, I, I used to, you know, just just break down a lot. And for me, during that moment, it was, uh, you guys uh, listened to the warm up by J. Cole? Yep. So so to the warm up, he has that line where he's talking about, he's just like talking about his journey, right? And he, he says, um, if something about stopping, and then he just kind of pauses and goes, not that I would stop anyway. And that line like really hit me strongly because it was just this complete dismissal of just the idea of quitting your journey. Like no matter how hard it gets, like, why would you ever stop? And so I just kind of held to that. And so no matter how hard it got, I, I just remembered like, yeah, I can't stop like motion, right? Movement keeps you going. It keeps you alive. It keeps you active. And if you just keep moving forward, you'll eventually get somewhere. But the journey might be alone. And eventually when you get somewhere, there might be a lot of other people there, but the, the path to getting there is, is usually solo. And so, you know, I mean, hip hop was big for that. I went um, broke two more times after that. I had to cut almost all of my employees twice, um, went into debt three times total. And uh, that was over the course of like four years. So it's like every time stuff started working, I just kept getting knocked back down. And, you know, over time, um, as I've as I've gotten more mature with the journey and with handling ups and downs, I've just started to realize that there's just events. There's no like good things or bad things in life. There's just things. And then there's your reaction to those things and how you handle them. And back then, you know, had I been able to handle all of those situations, I probably wouldn't have had so much pain in my life. It probably would have been a lot easier, but I didn't know how to not only how to deal with my emotions or anxieties, but I also didn't know how to deal with something bad happening or something not to the plan that I had. And, you know, what's interesting, too, is one of the things that kind of helps you with that, like as, as an entrepreneur, are the accolades and the success, right? You are Forbes 30 under 30 and those type of things that happen. And it's almost like the external validation that you talked about before that kind of reminds you like, okay, I'm, I'm on the right path. But what some people don't understand about accolades, especially sometimes is that they also can have the opposite effect, which is they can create a feeling of insecurity or a feeling of like, do I deserve this? Or what's next? Or, oh my God, now people are watching me and the, the pressure of success, so to speak. And then also sometimes you might get this big accolade that like everyone is like, and you're everywhere, but you don't, but your money isn't in order or you're not necessarily generating profit yet or whatever. Talk a little bit about that. How you navigate, how have the accolades, so to speak, how have they helped and, and how have you kind of navigated that um, as you, and use that to your advantage or, you know, maybe not um, yeah. as you move through this process. In, um, in 2014, I went to the White House. I was invited there to meet President Obama and show the crutch and all of that. And it was like a moment of tremendous recognition, led to a ton of press. And I got back to Atlanta. And I was still in this apartment with no roommates, trying to find people on Craigslist. <laughs> yeah. um, like there was a mattress in the living room. That was the only furniture in there. Like this was, it was so bad. It felt so bad to live there. And well, at least I had a mattress, I guess. Right. And um, I would go to like parties because, you know, this, this would have been my fourth year of college. So I'd go try to hang out with my friends and, um, you know, like different groups on, on campus. And Georgia Tech blasted my name everywhere for this, which is awesome. Like they gave yeah. me so much press, so much support. Um, but whenever I would go to campus or to a party, 
there was always like whispering, pointing right when I walked into a room because they they had shined a lot a lot of light on me. I wasn't yeah. comfortable handling that handling that kind of attention. I didn't have enough fixed inside of me. Like I didn't have it together enough to be able to yeah. reject just straight love when when I got that kind of shine. So I kind of shied away from it. And it was an important learning lesson for me because, you know, I think I, it wasn't really till COVID, to be honest, that I like fully got a straight um, glimpse into how to understand like the parts of me that were broken and how they affect the people around me. Um, mm. It took it took a little bit of growth. But back then, I was definitely doing a lot of reacting. And so yeah. I was more acting out because I was in pain. I didn't know how to handle all these different things that were coming at me. And so I think I mean, while that was great for building momentum for me and all of that, uh, I basically had to do a completely fresh restart to take what I had and, and build uh, properly with lasso, you know, and it's not like we were building a bad business, but my psyche wasn't in the right headspace to really do things on the level we're doing them now. I wasn't able to think big enough because I was mm -hmm. just dealing with so much inside. Right. Wow. I, I wanted to circle back to that. Um, I wanted to ask this as a follow up to my question. Um, that in itself, right? You were young, 18, 19, 20 when you said you didn't have the emotional balance to kind of understand the things that you went through, even accolades, even accepting accolades, you hadn't experienced that. Can you take us through what a moment or when that shifted? Because it's also very important to be almost insanely confident in yourself as an entrepreneur to get to where you're trying to go. And you need to project that confidence. Was there something that happened that kind of the light came on for you and you stopped having feeling that sense of insecurity and you said hey i'm going to go for mine now i'm confident i trust myself i trust my business it was there a moment that you felt that and how did that shift your business moving forward when you had that moment or those moments so i don't think like to be honest i don't think i fully eradicated it until this year so up until this year, I mean, I had been chipping away, you know, building more confidence, like better handling when I noticed that I was being insecure. And I started journaling a couple of years ago every single day. That gave me a lot more self-awareness because I got to see my thoughts in writing. So it let me know, oh, that's what I'm thinking. And like I built a really strong meditation practice that I do every day. Um, so a lot of those types of habits. But bro, really like in in um, there's no kids that listen to this, right? You can curse if that's, what, if that's what you're asking. No. Um, so I did uh, I did mushrooms in May as my first hallucinogenic oh, wow. experience. And I had this like total, complete ego death. And I just stopped associating so much of my emotional well-being with like this idea of myself that I was trying to portray of being this like great entrepreneur and impact maker and all of that started just being a regular person and just like being aware of who I am and just like trying to do as much good and positive stuff as I could every day. And it was like from that point, it was just like pushing the gas down. Like I got three to five times more done every day. And it was it wasn't more work. It was less work. It was like a really weird switch up is like I just got a lot of clarity in terms of exactly which buttons and I needed to push and which levers I needed to pull to start creating these really, really large effects on, you know, our community or our market or 
society or, or our industry or whatever. I just like something just clicked for me. Um, and it was cause I got out of my own way. I stopped being like, I stopped having to be the guy, you know what I mean? I feel like probably LeBron felt that way when he was in Miami, that, that, um, first, first year, like that whole between him and Dwayne Wade, they didn't know who needed to step up and nobody wanted to. And, you know, I think that that second year in that Boston series, when they had that game six and he went mm -hmm. off like crazy, I think that was a moment where, um, he probably had that same dissociation from self and just went purely into the task at hand and got out of the narrative of like having to be the guy. And as a result, he became the guy because he stopped trying to be the guy and just started doing the thing that the guy does. And I think like, you know, our, our slogan is stay moving. And the way I think about it is if you build really great habits that keep you in motion, you get where you want to go. And if you sit still and you just dwell on things and you worry too much, then you're going to paralyze yourself. So I think that's yeah. a fantastic, I think that's a great point. And I think for entrepreneurs, especially, uh, especially as you start to achieve success, I think that's an, an important way to look at things. Cause one of the things that, you know, V and I have talked about in our own businesses is like, as you continue to get success, it, the pressure starts to build. Right. And now you have people relying on you, whether it's, you know, employees or independent contractors or customers or people who are like, you know, like they rely on what you do day to day. And that creates a whole different type of pressure. Now it's not just you trying to achieve a goal, but you actually serving a purpose to the community. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about that before we get to more specifically about Lasso. I want to hear your, kind of your perspective on Lasso, but how have you, how have you dealt with that aspect of things have, as things have grown and now you realize, okay, shit, this isn't just about me. When I say Lasso, this isn't just a part of the thing. Now this is like, wow, like all these people are relying on it. How have you separated yourself from that or do you kind of embrace that as part of as part of the journey i think of it a lot more like it's like a team right like it's shared burden on everybody's shoulders and everybody has to step mm -hmm. up and perform at that level and so i don't see my role as any different or more impactful than anyone else on our team but i do get the most shine because people want to hear from the guy who's setting the direction and, and the vision and helping right clarity to that because from a macro, you know, world standpoint, that's what people care about is like, what impact will this have on my life? Well, you're going to want to hear from me if you want to know what impact it'll have on your life over the future, if you want to dream like that. But right. from the standpoint of day-to-day -day tasks, I just have a different set of tasks than everybody on my team. Um, but the way I think of it is, you know, be, like I think they say this in sports all the time. I used to hear this all the time. Big players make big plays. So if you want to be a big player, you got to make big plays. And mm -hmm. That means you can't shy away from the moment. The moment can't even be greater than anything else, right? Mm -hmm. It's just another moment where you're making another shot that you've made a million times before. And it doesn't matter who's watching, how many people are watching, what time is it, but it's just doing the same things you do every day. And that goes back to kind of that premise of build great habits, you know, habits of successful people. Um, if you do those things every day, like for me, um, I've started implementing some fitness into my day every day and I'm doing it in a way that it's very mentally taxing. And I'm also taking a lot more cold showers and basically learning that when I do things that create discomfort, then my work becomes very easy and very comfortable. And so it's almost like if you don't do those things, then your work is where you gauge like success and failure on. And then part of work becomes very uncomfortable and very tough. Mm. But when you have things that are 100 times harder for you than what you're doing intellectually, 
then it's not so hard to deal with whatever is going on. Can you, can, and, and yeah. as a follow up to that, I also want to talk about, you mentioned earlier, part of this is you are the CEO of the company, but there are a lot of people who are very important in making the company go. And what happens a lot in companies that start to grow, you see this in a lot of these startup stories. You mentioned your friends that kind of abandoned you and the business at, at a certain point, and I'm sure you've had other people do the same. But how do you kind of manage and understand, have the emotional awareness to understand kind of the, the egos that come into play in a business, right? If someone is getting jealous of Partha for always being on TV or someone's getting paid more than someone else or how do you manage that within an organization and make sure that the bond stays strong? We try to stay super clear about expectations and then the delivered results. So that's been a really big thing recently for us is, um, you know, great communication as a team, great planning. And then also, I mean, to that point, back to the big players make big plays. Like I, I told somebody on our team this recently, right? It's like, uh, you want to make more money than let, let's make more revenue, you know, mm -hmm. and be the cause for that. Prove to me that you're worth more than you are. And that goes for everybody on our team, including myself. Like if, if you do things above and beyond that provide a material impact on what we're doing, you will earn more. That's mm -hmm. how we believe um, pay should work. So, I mean, we're still like, our whole team is making a lot of sacrifices on salary and all of these things because we're an early stage company still. And we'll, um, that's what you have to do for a long time as an early stage team. However, when I think about like the egos in our team, we're fortunate because um, in general, we don't have a lot of ego. Uh, and when we do, we call it out very, very quickly. And we try to, I think, break it almost with realistic conversations about like, hey, you, you might feel that way, but let's talk about like the tangibles. Like, what did you deliver when? It's like if you have a player who's got a big ego, it's like, cool. Well, are you showing that on the field? Mm -hmm. so if you're balling out, like, sure, then I'm just going to be a little irritated with you, but you can do what you got to do to do that. But if you're not, then yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I have a quick question about that. That's just, how do you balance kind of that conversation and that thinking with just the kind of ills of capitalism? Right. And, you know, it's like, you don't want to necessarily have people measure their entire worth on how much money they generated. Right. But at the same time, you're a business, you know what I mean? So it's like, those things do matter. How do you not, how do you deal with that, that kind of that push and pull that I, I assume you naturally have uh, just as a human being? Yeah, we're fortunate because nobody on our team's working for the money. So if they were, mm -hmm. they wouldn't be working for us with what we're able to pay right now. I mean, that's just, again, part of being an early stage company, right? Like there's mixed compensation, like there's delayed compensation. There's a lot of different things that you do to ensure that you can grow at a rapid enough rate to really compete in the market. On our team, everybody is down for that because they see the bigger picture that we're building. And so, if mm. they, again, if they weren't, they wouldn't they wouldn't be with us. They'd be doing right. something else, and that would be totally fine. If their values didn't align like that, they should do something else. Yeah. But when it comes to you know greater compensation, the way I see it is um, there's I think there's certain amounts of money that once you hit, it doesn't have a material impact on your life um, if you make any more, right? Right when I think about where I want to get all of my employees that um, perform and everyone that helps build, um, I plan to, to eventually get everyone to that kind of point. And I 
have very direct conversations with them about what is not there yet and what needs to be there for them to get to that point. So ultimately, my my dream is for everyone to really step up into this amazing leadership position, be very, very good at what they do, to have a lot of perspective, to be great executors. Re- Reality-wise, we'll see. We'll see how many people are up to the challenge. But so far, everybody on our team is very receptive to it. And I mean, I'm I'm extremely direct. I don't I don't like to sugarcoat things. I like to be very straight up and not rude, not like a dick, but like straight and honest right. with people. And so I people no appreciate team, that. I, I hope so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like no one on our team's like, oh, I want to make this much more money or else I'm gonna quit. Or like they're not driven by that. But it's more like, hey, I'd like to make this amount of money to help with XYZ developments going on in my life that, you know, might be settling down settling down or might be having a kid or whatever whatever the course may be, right? It's like I get that and I wanna I wanna be the kind of company that you can um, you know, the kind of CEO and build a company that you can work for um, for your whole life. That would be amazing. So ultimately, our, our visions are aligned in terms of getting everybody to be able to be compensated super well and have a good life. But I think that people see that it's earned. And when you, when you can set a clear path and set measurable goals, then that's as good as a yes. If mm-hmm. somebody asks for a pay raise, right? Because you gave them an exact plan on how to get there. Right. You know, one one of the unique things that I saw and kind of reading a little bit more about your story was that you did develop the crutch initially um, and the crutch started to become successful, right? You had contracts with hospitals and it was generating revenue and your investors were happy, but you decided in the midst of that, while you were building a successful company to say, hey, this isn't what the long term goal of my company is or my long-term goal is kind of take us through that moment because it's very hard for someone to go and talk to their investors and and even themselves when you have something that's successful and say hey this isn't right though i don't care that it's making money and it's growing but i don't think that this is viable in the long term can you take us take us through that and that's a good segue into into lasso sure man um at that point, I just saw a rapidly approaching ceiling for us being able to sell crutches because, you know, medical adoption was slow. So it would be a very painful and expensive process to hire the reps and everything to make that happen. Um, the end company wouldn't be significantly large. And in my mind, it wouldn't have really changed culture as much as I thought it would in the healthcare space. And that's what I came to do is create impact. So. I, I just sat down with my investors was like, this isn't, this isn't it. Like we set out to achieve this goal, but this is not going to get us there by any means. It's going to be a terrible business to raise money for. We might get someone to buy it, but to what end? We'll all get very diluted and the business won't have done anything in the world. So it would have been just a waste of all the sacrifices I'd made. But I had already developed Lasso in the meantime and uh, we had it basically ready to go. So we launched the product and then pulled the crutch off the market at the same time and rebranded the whole company to Lasso. Um, that was something that I had a very strong instinct that it would work given all of the time we had spent in this sector of medical. And it, it did. I mean, within two weeks, we were on um, NFL fields on game day. Wow. Wow. And it- Wow. That's 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 amazing. That's just an amazing story. When I read that that part of it, I think a lot of people, you know, 
there's there's this saying from the American gangster when when uh, the guy says, you know, quitting while you're ahead is not the same thing as quitting, right? And realizing that that was a moment or a season in your life and transitioning, I think a lot of entrepreneurs naturally miss that, right? Because they become so involved with their own success that they don't see, hey, where are we going now? You know, mm-hmm. where where are we headed? Is this going to get us there? And I think in growth, they always say like starting a business is one one mountain to climb. Managing your growth and managing your business once it's successful is all is a completely different one. And I thought that that was that was that was very telling. About and then it. also and also the ego, right? And the kind of your baby, right? When you start a business, people don't realize it's like it's like having a kid in a lot of ways, you know. And you really become attached to it. And so to be able to kind of detach yourself from that and see the bigger picture, I think it's exceptional. And so you did talk a little bit about Lasso, but I want you to go in a little bit more detail. Uh, it's an, an exceptional company, but I want to hear from you. You know, a lot of times you see things online, you hear things here and there, but if you were to kind of break it down for us and for our listeners, how would you describe what Lasso is and what, and what the goals are for the future? Yeah. Um, by the way, you guys also went through the same thing, quitting your high paying jobs and going after a dream. So I wouldn't say that that DNA is, um, it's too tough to find. I think everyone has it in them, but you just kind of mm-hmm. have to figure it out. Yeah, um, that's true. To the point of Lasso. So we're positioned to be um, the high performance lifestyle brand. And how we consider that is in 2020 and you know moving forward, the lifestyle that people want to adopt is a very active one. So um, they want to work out every day. They want to do some element of recovery. They want to do some element of meditation or spirituality. They want to um, then go to the boardroom, close a deal, do their meeting, and then hop on a plane. They're in a new city, and then the routine starts over. To live a lifestyle like that, you need products that don't just work for one use case. They have to work across the board and support you staying active and mobile all the time. Uh, We look at that through the products we make. So our socks, which is the first product, but just the first example of what our technology can do. Uh, helps you with performance by helping provide support when you're, you know, cutting, running, jumping, squatting, whatever motion. It improves balance and proprioception. That's the essence of how it works. Um, on the recovery side, it's actually uh, Duke's doing this right now. When you have an ankle injury, they'll give you an ankle brace and they'll also give you a lasso sock. Um, so it's starting to pick up in the medical world as basically like a method of musculoskeletal care after the ankle brace phase because a brace will get you to 90 percent healthy but it doesn't give you full range of motion so our product is actually the only way to stabilize a joint and get full range of motion at the same time so we have a fit on that side and then from a recovery standpoint um, we have the knee high version which i wear um, after runs or after workouts uh, for the rest of the day it helps improve circulation to let your body recover a little bit faster um on top of that, there's a lot of professionals that use our products, like medical professionals, you know, delivery drivers, chefs, people who are on their feet a lot. Um, all of those people we consider living a high-performance lifestyle. At the end of the day, if you're trying to stay active, whether you're you know, young or whether you're older and you just want to be able to play with your kids or your grandkids, uh, we want to make products that help facilitate that without an instruction manual, without making you feel like you're hurt, like a lot of medical products do but rather things that right. feel like really cool, sexy, forward-thinking products that um, stick with fashion trends and still provide movement benefit immediately. And there, there are two, two important kind of follow-ups to that, right? Which is, one, you have a great company, 
um, that's obvious. You, you, you recognized a need in the marketplace and you tried to solve that problem. Those are great steps in the process. The next step and the hardest step oftentimes is one, convincing investors and customers to believe in you and recognizing who those people are, right? Can you tell us how you went through that process? Because there are a lot of great businesses and great ideas that never figure out, like for example, you said that at Duke, they get a pair of socks when they recover from surgery. How do you go about recognizing those type of opportunities and finding them? Because at the end of the day, revenue is the end goal. But the challenge is, who are my customers and how do I find them? Yeah. Um, Sports-wise, we got a lot of traction early. Um, I got put in touch with Champ Bailey when we had just started Lasso. And he came on as an investor, board member, very early. So he was the first real major cosign. It was because he loved the product. He put it on, didn't want to take it off. And it's like, okay, this this could make sense here. I want to be a part of this. Um, once Champ came on, he helped us recruit a lot more athletes. Um, we got a lot of people um, to not only wear the product, but a lot to come on board as investors. Um, on the industry side, we brought on guys like Uli Becker, <coughs> who's a former CEO of Reebok and former head of marketing at Adidas. So he did the whole Impossible's Nothing campaign, which is like oh, wow. award-winning campaign ever. Um, and then on the medical side, uh, to your point, we had a lot of chiropractors, orthopedic surgeons reach out. We had a lot we knew. Um, we partnered with a lot of the top training facilities in the country to develop the product, to test it, to get it on athletes, to get good feedback and just building the right relationships. And I, I think, you know, going into the space, saying something nobody else was saying, which is that, hey, we have this vision to make products that not only provide functional <laughs> benefit, but also look good. Nobody was saying that. And it's an exciting proposition. I think it's very hard to disagree with that thesis that the products that make you move better should also make you feel good when you wear them. Right. Mm -hmm. It's pretty hard to disagree. Yeah. With that. Yeah. That that's awesome. And you know, I think the the organic nature, that's what you dream about, right? It's almost like people write books on how do you get organic growth? It's like, you know, it's not there's not really an answer to it. But <clears throat> that when you have growth like that, you realize um, that it's sustainable, that you're doing something real. You know, it's so much different when you're paying somebody to say something versus somebody saying it because they believe in the product, you know? So that's, really? that's got, that's gotta be phenomenal. And obviously, um, you know, your work doesn't stop <clears throat> with Lasso and, you know, you have a foundation and you do startup consulting. I just wanted to get, get, give you a chance to talk a little bit about that as well, because I think obviously Lasso is a, is a huge deal, but that stuff is also very important as well. Yeah, so I've actually stopped um, charging any money to help people. So, I mean, if people need help, like you can feel free to reach out and I'll help try and connect whatever dots I can um, or maybe just provide as much insight as I can. But, you know, the, the most tough part about the journey is that you need somebody there just to help you believe in yourself when you're going through it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sure when you guys left, um, I think both of you left uh, lawyer jobs, right? No, I was at a pharmaceutical company. That's what it was. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, leaving something like that, you just need a system of people that you look up to or trust, whatever that is, that say, hey, you're on the right track. You can do this thing. Whenever you have doubts, don't worry about it. Just keep going. Keep testing. Because the reality is there's no advice anyone can give you about your own journey because they haven't lived your life. And they don't have all the variables, mm -hmm. but they can give you reinforcement that you should keep going and push you to continue to learn and allow yourself to make mistakes and not get down on yourself. I think 
those yeah. are the areas that you know it's more like coaching right like a great coach right. will help an athlete get better because they allow that athlete to make mistakes and learn at a very rapid pace and yeah that's that's how i see it to be honest i had i had one more question before we get to some of the fun stuff um okay. which is you know in your answer you were talking about how you had champ Bailey come on early and and celebrities and his investors and the culture we're in today a lot of startup companies especially with social media one of the things that they look for early on is oh if i can just get such and such who has five million followers to post about my brand that it's going to instantly grow and that is a very for me i look at that and i say that's a very dangerous way of looking and, and thinking because one it undermines your whole marketing process what is your actual marketing plan but it is the way of culture i just want to give you an, an opportunity to talk about that and what a good process is for a startup when it it comes to celebrity partnerships or social influencers a healthy way to look at it um, to make sure you don't get caught in those traps because it's easy if if kim kardashian wants to promote your product you don't want to say no to that but you do want to make sure that you capitalize on that and you're in a position to capitalize on that just wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that just because it's such a big part of our culture now yeah totally so not a lot of those partnerships will actually work just in a silo uh but the important thing is to understand so there's this notion of community-based marketing where you know every person or every brand has their own community of people who share the same <clears throat> value and so when you identify people who share the same values as you who also have communities that may overlap, whether it's a demographic, psychographic, or just regional. Um, and you're also pairing other advertising strategies around their community to convert them into members of your community, whether paid advertising, whether that's other partnerships in space, whether that's, you know, um, sponsorships of events that are happening in the same space for that same community. You have to start thinking the manner of creating echoes for people because it, it takes multiple impressions. I mean, this is science. It takes, I think it's average seven impressions to get somebody to uh, convert on e-commerce for uh, most most companies. I mean, if you're smart, you can reduce that. But ultimately, the, the whole idea of it is that people respond to uh, storylines and they respond <coughs> to um, echoes of that storyline from trusted sources. And so if you're able to show a customer what your brand's about, what you're doing, why it's important to them, and where you're going and then other people in their life that they trust that they also follow are able to echo that sentiment you're able to really have some action with it um, but we learned it the hard way i mean we have a lot of athletes that are involved in posts and, and do all of that and those posts in a silo are fine but those posts when you're already advertising those communities can then really generate impact and so you just have to be very very smart and there's a lot of data involved in it in terms of impression counts and you know like uh, all sorts of customer demos that you have to take into account to really get the maximum of it. But every brand also operates differently. Like every car drives different and you just kind of have to get a feel for what works for your community. And it might be different. Like some brands just don't do a lot of social media. Some brands will be heavy on Twitter, but not on Instagram or vice versa. So you just have to understand where your people are, how they communicate, what makes them resonate uh, or what content resonates amongst that community. And then you have to, do more of that. One, one other question. Uh, sorry, Lee, and then, then we'll get to the fun stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is well, I guess this is a kind of fun question too. You know, we've talked a little bit about the process, right? 
and, and the grind and, and what it takes. And But there are also moments during this period of time. And you talked about that kind of earlier, just how everything is just kind of a series of moments, really. But like fun stuff. I mean, you mentioned going to the White House. You mentioned, you know, Champ Bailey coming in, NFL adopting your product, you know, <clears throat> person coming over from, I think, Adidas and Reebok. You said, are there, t- take us, are there any some cool moments that you like, you know, sometimes you got to take a step back and just be like, wow, I can't believe this happened or I can't believe this is happening. Um, and it's hard to do that sometimes when you're as ambitious as we are, right? You just, it's cool. And then you like move to the next thing, but everyone's calling you like two weeks later and you're like, oh, I'm already past that. But are there any yes. moments like that, that like uh, just cool moments that maybe you mentioned already, or maybe that you haven't um, that have been part of this process? Uh, there's been a ton. I'm mean, so uh, you mentioned it. Forbes 30 under 30 was a really big one for me. That was a big goal, and I got it super young. I was 22 when I got on the on the list. Wow, that was awesome. Um, White House obviously was a big one. I was a big admirer of President Obama when I was growing up, so it was a very nice moment. Yeah, that's huge. Person. Um, recently, more of those moments have to do with, uh, I'd say, like the scene that we're in for lack of a better word so there's a lot of people who build brands that just do an excellent job with it and being able to spend actual time with those people and have personal relationships and have them with a vested interest in my success like a almost from a mentor standpoint you know um not planning on doing any name dropping but just i've been able to meet a lot of people i really look up to yeah, and yeah. Them on a human level, which is interesting to me. That that's yes. what I'm excited about. And so those are the moments that I think I cherish the most is when I'm able to work with people who are universally admired and they have a passion, interest, and also mutual admiration for me as a peer, as opposed to, you know, just as like yeah. some kid that they met that they're trying to like maybe help out or charge money for something. Like that's Absolutely. that's exciting. And that's what I hope to generate more of is, you know. I want to be a very, very impactful person in the consumer brand space and especially in uh, in the line of thinking of how do I build a brand that both improves the world and also makes money at the same time. That's where I would like to build my region of expertise. Yeah. Absolutely. So we, we spent quite a bit of time talking about two of your favorite things and it just so happens that part of our show, um, at the end of it, we ask about those two things. So um, we've got two, two lists. Um, that we, we like to ask about. I'll hand, hand it over to Mecca for the first one. All right, first list is, tell us your top five musicians of all time <clears throat> also that influence you personally. Yeah. And, again, and since hip hop is such a big thing. Yeah, it could be rappers. It, it could be <clears throat> any type of music, but that influence you personally. Okay, so then I'm gonna <clears throat> open it up uh, a little bit more than I initially had prepped. So music watch, J. Cole, for sure. He's number mm-hmm. one on that list. Drake is number two, and it's because I've listened to the song Do Not Disturb probably 10,000 times. Right. Amazing song. Mm-hmm. Um, I would put uh, Boney Bear on there. His music is fantastic, and it mm-hmm. just kind of, it's a vibe. It keeps me going through the day. Um, I would then add uh, Linkin Park, because that was my whole youth. That angst, mm-hmm. you know? You got to mm-hmm. have some angst in you. Uh, and finally, it's it's tough because I have a lot of rappers that I really admire and listen to. Um, I, but I think I would go outside of hip hop. I would probably go into the um, alt space. So I'd probably go with like a Coldplay. Okay. Yeah. It's just, I love Coldplay. You know, 
yeah, decades <coughs> of excellence is is very admirable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and as a you, you mentioned hip hop, can you like the connectivity, right? The energy we feel it all the time. Like if we're in a bad mood or something's not going right, I'll turn on Nipsey Hustle. Can yeah. you tell us about that influence on, on you as an entrepreneur, personally, how it's actually helped you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I have albums or playlists that I queue up based on the mood I'm feeling just to help me get through it. And I think the other part of it is just knowing too, like if I'm if I'm having kind of like a weird kind of like moody day, I just know that I'm going to turn on like a few of the older, like maybe take care. I'll listen to front to back or maybe some weekend stuff from back in the day and just do like some blog writing that I have to do or something that requires me to be more introspective. So I think, you know, music, especially hip hop can be a great facilitator for helping you dig deep. And if you listen to like, a, like a Nipsey is a great example. A lot of artists are so introspective and it can really help you jog your own thoughts. Like I was really impressed with this new Big Sean album that just came out. Yeah, I was too. I'm not a fan yeah. at all either. <laughs> yeah, it was very good. And the topics he's talking about are just so forward. They're so current. I have not heard a rapper talking about, you know, karma or like Western versus Eastern medicine, for example. I hadn't heard that before until I heard his project. And it was interesting. I it it helps you realize you can be yourself and be successful, you know? Because mm -hmm. that's not traditionally like the cool stuff. So yeah, I, I admire that a lot about hip hop. It's a lot of individuality. That's why Tupac Tupac was always my favorite because I felt like he he might have seemed like a different person on each song, but that was all him, you know. And I think that, that was mm -hmm. it kind of allowed me to explore all the different parts of myself as an artist. I didn't feel like I had to just talk about this one thing that we're so diverse. And complex individually and he was able to really put that out there in so many different songs and it all be authentic and that, that was that's why he's just always been my favorite so yeah that's, oh, that's great yeah <clears throat> now, all right last gonna, one the second list is going to probably be filled with a lot of nba guys but your top five athletes yeah this one's this one's uh really a challenge so i have to go ahead and just put on uh two of my guys on there champ bailey and earl thomas just for lasso reasons. Um, I'm going to put on um, Babe Ruth because I was really into baseball growing up. And so I read a lot of books about him and it was just like very inspiring to hear about him as a kid. I don't know what it was, but just something about baseball in Ohio in the fall growing up. Yep. It was a nice, nice vibe. Um, the other two are, are easy. It's D Wade and LeBron. Uh, D Wade, I really, I've always looked up to him because he molded fashion into basketball. I felt like he was the the first major crossover athlete into pop culture from the NBA. Um, maybe not. I guess you've got like, of course, Jordan, Vince Carter, all those guys, AI, right? But D Wade just kind of did it differently. He made the playoffs into a runway, and I just really admired the way he 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 created that wave. And now everything someone wears to a game is like it's a hot topic. Everybody wants to know what somebody wore walking into the arena that day. So mm -hmm. I yeah. really like that. And I was impressed with him stepping back and having the humility to take a smaller role when he brought LeBron on. I think that that's a really tough thing to do when you're a competitor, but it's almost like the ultimate competitive move is to sacrifice yourself to win. Mm -hmm. So I kind of really dig that. And then yeah. of course our Ohio boy, LBJ, the, Seeing him grow over his career has been really inspiring, but seeing him also 
grow off the court has been incredible. And I think when he retires, it's going to be his legacy off the court is going to far surpass what he's ever done in basketball. And that's that's really saying something, given the impact he's had on the court. Um, but the thing that I feel like allows him to really make that impact off the court is something I've observed when I've watched his games recently. He's, he has this sense for the game as opposed to to just like shooting and passing. He has this sense for like the pace of the game, the rhythm, the tempo, the feel. And he seems to have gotten to an extreme level of mastery in terms of controlling the pace and the flow of a game. Mm -hmm. So you see that he doesn't necessarily drive to the rim as hard every every single possession or shoot every possession in the first few quarters of a game, but it's more him feeling out the other team and just keeping it an even game. And when the fourth quarter comes, he's got this grasp of what exactly what they're going to do, and he's able to just completely stymie them and and win. I mean, it's it's eerie to watch him do it because it's it's a level of dominance. I think Jordan had the same type of game control which is very unique and so that i think as a business person is very inspiring to me because you think <clears> about <throat> someone doing that in a sport and it's like well you you can actually do that in an industry like if you think about virgil's impact uh, i know now he's gotten a lot of negative press unfortunately but what he did with fashion you know in in the years that off-white was trending before he came on louis vuitton anything that Virgil was touching was it. It was cool, it was hot, or even like the brand Supreme, right? The way that they were able to come out of the gates. And to to see somebody build the kind of impact and influence that they dictate culture, I think it really means that they have a great understanding for the market. They understand what makes people tick and they know how to play that game to manipulate it. And it to me, it's the same as how LeBron controls the Lakers game right now. So that ultimately is what I would strive for is to be able to have the kind of sense and understanding of the market we play in to really be able to start making some cultural impact. Because for us, you know, at, at our roots, we're a healthcare company, all our products go through the FDA, they're all registered, all that stuff. So when we <coughs> look at the mass market, it's, it's all about culture, because you can't make something cool, that's not cool. So you have, yep. to, right. you have to understand how things flow. Yeah, that, well, that was a great kind of uh, summation, I guess you could say, and in conclusion. Uh, this, is, this has been a great interview. And make sure everybody who's listening, make sure you guys check out lassogear.com. Again, athletic and sports performance, compression socks, and I'm sure more things coming. Uh, part of this has, been, this has been phenomenal. We really root for your success. Again, you being a, a Columbus, Ohio boy makes us even all the more proud. And uh, please come back and, and join us again and share your more success with us as it, as it continues to grow. Thanks, Thanks for having me. DJ Khaled said, more life, more success. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, bro. Have a good one, man. Take yeah. care. Be safe out here. Thank you, man. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys podcast. Show us some love today. Listen to the Pilot Boys podcast. I'm going to hit some news and notes. The... Uh, First, let's talk parts of man. That, was, that, that dude is a, is a cool dude. He's a smart dude. He's a thoughtful guy. Uh, I think the, the thing that I like about him um, more than the product development and all the other stuff is his willingness to be kind of introspective and be honest, right? I think a lot of people mm -hmm. um, glorify this entrepreneurship thing from the outside, especially when you have things like, oh, I met Obama and Fortune, you know, or yeah. Forbes 30 under 30. And, um, but there's a, lot of else, there's a lot of heartache and pain um 
and perseverance that goes into it. So I really appreciate yeah, I mean, that. Reaching, reaching what he has that is his sense of emotional balance. It's very tricky and it takes time and you have to go through experiences, you know, but he's someone who, who started in this business early when he wasn't fully even mature as a man yet mm -hmm. um, and figured things along the way. And I think that process obviously has helped him reach the balance that he has now. Yeah. And I, and I even learned some things and I think that's one thing I like about uh, the quality of guests that we have on this show. Uh, I feel like I learned something every time. So, so that was good. I, I was, uh, <clears throat> I was really uh, enjoying that one. Let's move to some, some, some news and notes stuff. Um, the sports world is kind of heating up a little bit, right? Because, you know, a lot of leagues are coming back to play or are in the middle of play. Um, and, you know, four or five, six months ago, we had <clears throat> no idea what was going to happen with that. So, the most interesting one, though, is college football. You know, I, I am on record loudly and wrongly <laughs> saying that I didn't think anybody was going to play in college football. Yeah. And this past weekend proved that not to be true. And it looks as though not only is, was that not true, all these other conferences are playing. And now there's also a push for the Big Ten to try to get back to competition. Uh, what do you think about that? I mean, I, we talk about it all the time. It, it's just it's 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 shocking a little bit only from this regard. <clears throat> the reason why I thought everyone was going to shut down is because what I believe to be very predictable at that time that I was saying that has bared out people. The COVID cases are all over campus. Campuses aren't shut, shut down yeah. and all these campuses and, you know, people are catching COVID and even within the teams. And I thought that that would cause everyone to shut down. But the, I think that they've decided that they're going to push through. And part of it is, you know, the reality is we've heard tons of cases in college, but we haven't heard it about any real major illnesses or sicknesses yet to date. Again, we don't know all the long-term effects. Um, and there's also a lot of other things at stake here. And I think that they, you know, they've decided to prioritize that. So that's kind of what we're, why we're seeing what we're seeing. What are your thoughts on that? Well, there's, there's two sides of the coin here, right? One is from a strictly capitalist business standpoint, let's not sugarcoat this thing. Uh, college football is a business. If mm -hmm. it wasn't a business, they wouldn't be playing. Mm -hmm. Um, there is always a risk reward evaluation that you have to do as a for-profit business that I think a lot of institutions have decided we're going, the risk, it doesn't outweigh the reward financially, right? Mm -hmm. And entertainment wise and whatever else it builds for the university, but mainly financially. Mm -hmm. um, and so obviously that's no surprise. The unfortunate backside of this thing, and we've, we've talked about this over and over and over again, is that these are supposed to be amateur organizations. And if they are amateur organizations, you should weigh the risk a lot more. These players aren't getting paid. Um, they're not working. They're not unionized, as you said. Um, and you've mentioned, we've mentioned throughout the show. And so from that standpoint, it's very troubling because I think the shift here has to happen at some point where the hustle needs to stop mm -hmm. with this thing. Mm -hmm. And no matter how many times we say it, it, it needs to be said again. Yeah. The hustle needs to stop. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that would change a lot of my impression of this thing. Yeah. Because I completely understand the NBA and the NFL figuring out a way. My issue with college football specifically, it's, it's twofold. These kids, it, the smaller schools don't have the same access to the bigger schools in terms of preventative care mm -hmm. and making sure everything's safe. And the second part of this thing is that these kids are are operating on a scholarship and, and really we're having this because there's too much money to lose, not because it's the yeah. right thing. To do. So it's crazy because 
you know, I think I have so many different thoughts on these and some of them might even appear to be conflicting. Right. And when mm-hmm. it comes to college football and, and I think one thing that we just have to acknowledge is that is okay. It is okay to say, listen, based on current set of factors and the way things are, there's no reason for them not to be playing. Yeah. But also say, but this whole system is bullshit and things need to change. And maybe they shouldn't be playing unless they're unionized and can bargain for some of these things. And college football is a monopoly. So to, to say, yeah, these kids want to play, of course they want to play. Where else are they going to, where, where else can they go to get the opportunity, especially in football, to get an opportunity to, to be professional? It's a monopoly, right? Mm-hmm. Basketball isn't even like that. Basketball, they can, they can go pro you know, out of the country. Now they have the G League that's paying money. So it's not even as, as monopolized as much as it is football. Um, but I think all of those things can kind of be true at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of what makes it tricky. But one thing that we know for sure, at the end of the day, no matter what is true, is like you said, stop the hustle, man. Let's, let, yeah. let's stop the hustle. At the end of this year, at the end of this season, let's stop the hustle. Let's stop acting like this is amateurism and all this other shit. The reason why people are playing is because of the money. And they're yeah. trying to keep some other sport. A lot of other sports and a lot of schools are getting wiped out. They're, they're getting canceled. Big schools. Because this, they're not generating money. So let's stop acting like this is just, oh, this is amateurism and just kumbaya for every, every student athlete on our campus. It's, it's, it's nonsense. So and let's, and let's not ignore also some of the things I think the doctors from Penn State came out and talked about 30% of the, the I think that was, that, that, that was retracted, though. It was? Yeah, yeah, that was debunked and retracted. Okay. Yeah, it was. But, but, but I do think that, you know, there is, there are chances of long-term risk. That yeah, I, I, yet, but that yeah. study isn't, isn't. Yeah, the point, the point that 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 I was I was trying to make with that statement is that I think we have a responsibility as a society to protect these kids at a higher level than they would if they were professional athletes. That's that's really the point, and we're not going to know until something bad happens. But here's that's the flip what scares, side. That's but, what scares but, me about. But here's the flip side, and this is part of why. It's important to talk about all aspects of this the, because of the monopoly that's essentially been created and because of, you know, kind of just capitalism, the way capitalism works for a lot of these kids, this is their opportunity, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it, how do you balance that into the equation? Right. Even knowing that it's an unjust system, we know that, but this is the system, right. And it's right. not going to change today. So wh- what do we do for all those kids who are like, listen, man, <clears throat> I've done the studies. My parents have done the studies. This is my one shot. You know, I, I, if I don't make it here, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. You know, this has been my goal. I've eight o'clock, six o'clock mornings since I was six years old. You know what I mean? That whole thing. Yeah. And but that's the, just. But as a lawyer, you know, the underlying thing for, for organizations here is the liability, right? They can't have them legally sign a waiver. So one kid getting it and having some real effects could eventually bankrupt, could essentially bankrupt your favorite favorite school see yeah. I, and the thing is i think that that you know that's probably been overstated a little bit because you know these schools get sued like concussions they're, yeah. they're class action con- concussion lawsuits right now against the ncaa yeah. in these schools and so you know that but that is part of the cost benefit analysis right when you're weighing what are the pros and cons and you know and theoretically kids can die, the likelihood of a kid dying from covid on the field is probably the same as a kid dying from being you know being hit a certain way you know what i mean just from the data that we have yeah. now so that is part of the analysis, but it's like, <clears throat> how much are you going to factor that in when there's a whole bunch of potential carnage on the other side if you don't play? Um, so, you know, but that is what we're seeing. I think at the end of the day, people can say, oh, this is about the kids and this is about their futures and stuff like that. But, you know, when it's a $10 million coach coming out talking about they should play, 
you know, it, it just feels a little weird. Like, I don't want to hear that from you. You know, yeah. if, if that's the case, then give back. You're seeing, your you're seeing a lot of the, the hip, what I like about what's happening is you're seeing a lot of the hypocrisy being exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that's healthy. And whenever there's a system that's, that's unhealthy or sick, actually exp- exposing what the factors are that are making it sick is important. And it takes something like this. It would never happen any other way. Yeah. 100% right. Yeah, it never would happen any other way. So, you know, I mean, it, it's going to, honestly, college football is going to be a shit show this year. Yeah. We knew that. Their games are getting postponed and canceled and all kinds of stuff. Maybe they'll get through a season. Maybe they won't. Maybe, who, who knows? But it's going to be a shit show. And we'll see, see what ends up happening. Uh, the NBA it has, has had a kind of exact opposite situation yeah. when it comes to COVID. Obviously, they're able to create a bubble and circumstances allow for that. Um, and I don't think they've had any COVID cases. It's funny because I thought that somehow they would, but they just have not. That bubble has worked. Uh, and the playoffs have been exceptional. You know, I think there are a few th- storylines that kind of stick out. Giannis getting them getting ran by Miami before he even got hurt. Um, and then him getting hurt, obviously, and then now deciding what to do there. <laughs> um, obviously, the you know the, the Clippers and the Lakers, and um, there's just there's just there's been there's been some good basketball. Denver, there's been there's been good basketball. What what do you see? What is it that you're looking at now as we look forward to kind of the playoffs developing and potentially getting towards the Eastern and Western Conference Finals? What is it you're looking at? I'm I'm seeing a a change in the NBA. There's there's. These guys, they always, one of the things that started happening was these guys get paid too much too soon and it hurts their competitive instincts. What I'm seeing in these playoffs, especially even from these young teams, is resilience and heart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, from the, from the Nuggets, they're going up against the Clippers, you yeah. know, and, and they are not scared at all. <laughs> yeah. and, and then the second thing is I feel like this playoffs, we're seeing potentially the development of the Jimmy Butler storyline in Miami being very mm-hmm. similar to the Dwayne Wade situation where he put his team on the on his back. And I, th- I feel like Jimmy Butler has been very underappreciated in the NBA for some of the reasons that I mentioned earlier. He's a very, very throwback competitor. Mm-hmm. He's hard on his teammates. Yeah. He's hard on everyone in the building. And I feel like in the places that he was at before he got to Miami, that wasn't part of the culture. But if you know Pat Riley and you know Eric Spolstra and the culture that they try to have, now it makes sense. Why would Jimmy Butler leave Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons to go to Miami? And it's yeah. the answer is culture. And that's applies to everything. Find a culture that fits you. And now yeah. you're seeing the best of Jimmy Butler. And you're also seeing how he makes everyone else around him better as well. Yeah. Um, and, so that's my favorite storyline so far. I think that's 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 spot on. And what's so interesting to me about these playoffs now, right? And, and, and to kind of piggyback what you said, the NBA is in unbelievably good hands right now in the future of the NBA. I mean, think about this. You don't have Kevin Durant and Kyrie and Steph Curry. I mean, big names that are like, you know, that are, and, you know, Clay Thompson, obviously, that are inf- influential in the sport of basketball that are still coming. Don't get it wrong. Yeah. They're not done. Yeah. And they're not even part of this playoffs. You know what yeah. I mean? And we still have tons of stars that are involved and emerging stars and Jamal Murray and, you know, obviously Jimmy Butler, he's been a star, but, and so it's just like looking forward, it's like this NBA is going to be competitive for a long time. Yeah. You know, it's going to be competitive for a long time. And these young guys, you know, there was a second, there was a period of time where we were kind of, I think we were kind of worried, like, man, I hope these young guys take this game seri- as seriously as some of the other guys did just from a competitive standpoint. Yeah. Um, but I think that we're seeing that. So for me, that's been the most exciting thing to watch. And, 
you know, obviously it looks like it's going to be the Lakers and Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. And I mean, that's just going to be a banger. I mean, I don't, that's just going to be a banger. That's going to yeah. be a banger. And don't underestimate whatever team comes out of the East in those finals. Everyone's kind of handing it to the Lakers Clippers winner, but I agree. Uh, it, it's Boston's good. Toronto's good. Miami's good. And they don't and, care. Like you said, they're yeah. not scared. They're not scared. They're not scared. That's, that's what I love. All right, let's move. Let's move on to the um, NFL and, uh, you know, the NFL is going to start actually tonight and um, throughout the weekend. And, you know, it's been interesting just kind of following this, right, because the NFL has done exceptionally well with COVID as well, uh, exceptionally well, especially considering the fact that they're not all bubbled together, right? They've kind of created their own bubbles, but they only have like three or four active cases, maybe throughout the whole league. And you're talking about thousands of players. Um, I don't know how it's going to work throughout the season. One thing that they've definitely, I think, agreed to now is to finally to do testing. Uh, daily, which was something that was a fight between the NFLPA and the NFL at some point for some reason. Um, but now rapid testing has made that probably a lot more possible. Um, I guess what do you look for? What are you looking forward to? Forget COVID for a second and what effects it can have on the season. What are you looking forward to as a football fan uh, to see it happen in this NFL season? I mean, last few years, the relationship with the NFL and its fans has been very interesting, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many challenges. The one thing that we're seeing through and through and through is that that NFL brand is so strong that it can almost overcome anything, mm-hmm. right? And I do think, you know, for better or for worse, football has become America's pastime. Um, and so I am looking forward to that aspect. I think the NFL is the most competitive league we have. So from that standpoint, it's great. I think it's also good for local markets, right? It's a very localized sport um, that for markets that are hit hard by what's going on, that this gives them something to rally around because there's a lot of division, even in cities amongst political parties. But football is that thing that in major markets can bring people together. So I'm I'm looking forward to that (laughs) aspect. And I'm just, again, it just seems like there's so much talent in sports right now. (laughs) You know, in, in the NFL as well, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. You have all these new storylines and old storylines, new rookies. I just feel like the talent pool is so deep. The yeah. Athletes are so dynamic that if you're a fan of sports, like there's a lot to be excited about. It's like now you've got to watch the NBA and the NFL. And it's, yeah, it's, I think you're right. I think the storylines are <clears throat> are huge. I mean, you're talking about the young, like young quarterbacks, you know, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, you know, maybe even see what Baker and Jared Goff and some of these guys do. And if Tua will end up playing, there's a lot of those, those storylines. And then, but then you also have a lot of veteran movement, right? Mm-hmm. Phillip Rivers and the Colts and then the super team in Tampa that's being built, right? <laughs> yeah. Like it's like literally like some NBA shit that you're seeing happening. I wish, I wish Brady's it, coming and Fournette's coming and Gronk is I, coming. It's like, what's that about to be like? You know, if Tom I think, Brady a, lot, has, I yeah. think a lot of star players are like, Damn, if I if if people could just do what I, what they needed to do when I came to the team, it's like Tom Brady comes there and Tampa just like does everything that they need need to do. It's crazy. It's crazy. So you know, seeing that and then you know Cam in New England. I mean, let's yeah. you know that's a huge storyline. About that one, <laughs> and, and and all reports are that he's he's balling and him and Belichick are, are BFFs right now. And we'll see how long that lasts. And um, and then you have the storyline of, like you said, the um, <clears throat> the relationship with the fans and the protests. And even I think even the Cowboys got the green light to protest during the anthem. And so, you know, what, what, what will that look like? And then no fans or a limited amount of fans. I mean, there's a lot of different things that I think um, I'm looking forward to just seeing how they play out. 
Um, so it's going to be an exciting season. And let's talk about our last thing before we get out of here. Let's talk some fantasy football. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's funny. I think you and I kind of go through a similar process when it comes to fantasy, right? Um, we, we, we love it during the season, and, yeah. but it's, it's taxing because we actually spend time and we care about it. And by the end of the season, whether we win or we don't win, we're kind of like, fuck fantasy. I'm not playing next year, <laughs> yeah. you know? And then you're, the whole offseason, you're convinced you're not playing or you're not going to take it seriously. And then as it gets to like July and August and camp starts starting up and start getting texts from your, your, you know, your league and stuff like that, you're like, all right, I'll play. And you, get a, you do your draft. You're not really that excited. Then all of a sudden the season comes and you're back, right, right back where you were the year before. Um, so let's talk a little bit about fantasy. Let's talk about your team. How do you feel about your team? Um, and what, what are you looking forward to or what sleepers do you have maybe <clears throat> that you feel like could ball out this year? Yeah, just, just to kind of echo your statements, I think the reason that fantasy is so big, we're going to show our age here, but it offers us a lot of, because we're both big competitors growing up in sports, that competitive juice with your friends, you know, or right. when you when you graduate college and you go on to your separate ways, it's hard to stay connected with your friends, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. I think fantasy, you know, a lot of people detracted. I don't I don't think it's something that people should bash um, mm -mm. so much. There's obviously extremes in anything, right? right. You shouldn't be betting your mortgage on on fantasy football, right. but right. anything that kind of gives <clears throat> adults something that gives them camaraderie and a break from from the norm of day-to-day -day -day life because it's stressful as an adult is something yeah. that should be looked at in a positive light as long as it's not in the extreme example. I'll start with that. And then I also will say like this year is very unique because I think it does test your knowledge of football, yeah. right? Like one of the things that I avoided doing was drafting a lot of rookies because I knew that they didn't have extended camps. They had a right. month to go from college football to the NFL. So I think right. there's going to be a tough position in the rookies. So I went with a lot of vets, you know, and this, this year's draft, we saw a flip again, like two, two, three years ago, early on, the shift happened from running backs back to wide receiver dominant drafts. Mm -hmm. um, and then this year, it seems like it shifted back where everyone feels like, like in our draft, by the time we got past, you know, the first like 20 minutes, there are no running backs. Left. Right, right. So right. it's They're fascinating. So from my perspective, I, I kind of, as I saw that happening, I had to adjust in draft. So I just went with as many known commodities as I could because mm -hmm. even though their values were down, I was looking at guys like Keenan Allen and T.Y. Hilton, mm -hmm. even DeAndre Hopkins. Like, yeah. Their values were going down. So I was like, okay, in this season – I'm going to trust the guys that I know have got it done in the past and they have experience. At least that was my outlook on it. Yeah. The one reach, you know, I, I, I took Kyler Murray because I think with those weapons and what I see in his, he talent, should ball. He should ball. He should ball. So yeah. that was kind of my risky pick and tight end was a risky pick. I, I went outside the norm there and got Gusecki and Herndon. So I'm, I'm excited about my team. I'll, we'll see yeah. how it plays out. I think we're very balanced because yeah. there's so much talent in the NFL. Yeah. You know, but, kind of you do what you've always done, which is you've already had like six <laughs> trades. Well, one thing, one thing Peanut said that I think is, is, is probably true too, is that, you know, a lot of the teams look balanced, but like by week two, week three, we'll see who the real ones are from, from the fake. Right. And COVID yeah. may, may play a role in that. Uh, but, it, but also may not. We also, a lot of these quarterbacks and, and not just quarterbacks, but top players, even like you mentioned DeAndre Hopkins, 
they're in new systems or, or, or have new quarterbacks throwing them the ball. So we don't know what T.Y. Hilton's going to do with Rivers. We don't know what Keenan Allen's going to do with Tyrod Taylor or Herbert if he comes in. You know what I mean? Like, we don't yeah. really know. So there's a lot of stuff that's just we're not going to know until we see. Yeah. Um, I'm excited, obviously, about the Browns. I went all in, pretty much went all in on the Browns. <laughs> yeah. I had, you know, Nick Chubb. I have Nick Chubb and Odell Beckham. And I also, also had Austin Hooper. But I had to trade him because I was like, I can't have – Every single Brown. You I've got know, Baker so. Mayfield if you need him. Yeah, yeah. I might end up with him at some point too. So, you know, I went heavy on the Browns. And uh, obviously, I'm Deshaun Watson. I've never owned him. Um, so I'm excited to just to see what that, that looks like. Um, yeah. And, you know, I like, uh, you know, I traded for Kelsey, which was which is the big trade. But, you know, I'm yeah, – That kid all ended up with Kelsey. Yeah. But, you know, the craziest thing, the, the player that I am most excited about and this is a crazy thing. Browns fans, please do not kill me. But from a fantasy standpoint, is Deontay Johnson. I just feel like the number two receiver in Pittsburgh just always balls. Like, always, 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 as long as Ben stays healthy. Now, if Ben gets hurt, then, you know, whatever. But as long as Ben yeah. stays healthy, I just – I don't see – Well, well a lot of that is going to be determined by us finding out how good Juju Schmiss – Schuster really is. Yeah. Can he be? Because the reason that the number two receiver benefits so much in Pittsburgh is because their number one is always a stud. Who well, well the number Plaxico one always balls too. To, but yeah. it's also their philosophy, right? They yeah. throw the ball. Ben's throwing that. He's throwing that joint. You know, yeah. so it's volume also. So, but I agree with you. I think what type of where is Juju going to be lining up first of all? You know, and, yeah. and is is he going to be in the slot? You know, because if he's in the slot, then he's not necessarily going to be treated like a one by the defense. You know what I mean? So those type of things. Um, could affect it, but in terms of just people, I'm excited about. I'm excited about. Yeah, him. I mean, I think there's a there's there's a reason for that excitement, right? Yeah, that Pittsburgh develops great receivers, um, and and that's part of the the joy of fantasy, right? It's yeah. like you always want to have those one or two guys that you can take credit for discovering. Like, right. And my other I, draft, I, I got J.K. Dobbins too. I had to say yeah. that just in case people are listening, because I put that on Twitter. I don't want them to think I'm lying. That was my first draft it's in a different league. I got J.K. So. I'm excited about him too. <clears throat> yeah, I'm I'm excited about David Montgomery. People yeah. people are off his wagon. They're sleeping on him. I like guys who work hard um, and and love the game. And I think the same thing with with Allen Allen Robinson is is quickly becoming my fan, favorite fantasy player because I think he's just a guy that gets the job done. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and you need those type of guys. And we'll see what I have with DeAndre Swift. Yeah, Maybe he'll turn into something. But like you said, you know, you have to have those guys that. They get you excited that you can own. Like yeah. I, I can, I can hang my hat. I think you can hang your hat forever on, on Arian Foster, and I can right. hang my hat forever on Patrick Mahomes. Those things right. don't, don't go away, right? Yeah, so right. That's, that's part of the fun, for sure. All right, cool. Well, that's all we have for news and notes. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. Ondo Media here in Columbus has been working with us to keep the Pilot Boys in production during the pandemic, as well as getting our YouTube videos going. It's all about telling your story to your audience. So give John at Ondo Media a shout. You can find all of their media consulting at ondomedia.com. That's all we have for today's show. Big thanks to our guest, Partha Unava. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And follow the hosts on Twitter. I am at Mechadon Music and V is at Viswant. And don't forget to grab some Pilot Boys wristbands or face masks at shop.pilotboys.com. Always remember, be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out. Pilot Boys out.
Darling, boys, we get on up.